0: Amen. If you have your copy of scripture, we are in Acts chapter 27 this morning. Acts chapter 27. We're reading from the English Standard Version uh, this morning. Acts 27 I know it's a long chapter so I will attempt to read fast and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius embarking in a ship of Adrametium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia we put We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because of the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, sailing for Italy uh, to put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off uh, Snidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete of off Salmor, coasting along it. With difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia, since much time we had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the first, or even the fast, was already over, Paul advised them, saying, "Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives." But the Centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach phoenix a harbor of crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there now when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along crete close to the shore but soon a tempestuous wind called the northeast called the northeaster struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and should not face the wind we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata. we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground onto Sir- or Siritus, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I worshiped. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all who sail with you to take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land and so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms a little farther on they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms and fearing that we might run on the rocks they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow Or from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will be given to you for strength, for not a hair is to perish From the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time loosening the ropes, they tied the rudders, then hoisted the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained or the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf, and the soldiers planned was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan, and he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. A very detailed account of what happened. Today I want to talk to you about enduring the storms of life, enduring the storms of life. A doctor comes in and says to his patient, I have bad news and I have worse news. The patient replies, so let's have it. The doctor says the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. The patient says, I can't imagine. What would be worse news than that? The doctor says, I forgot to tell you yesterday. Um, In his book, Eye of the Storm, Max Lucado writes this. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in washed up and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and sucked, sucked to suck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up and she barely said hello when whew, Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag. There was Chippy still alive but stunned since the bird was covered with dust and soot she grabbed him raced him to the bathroom turned on the faucet and held chippy under the running water then realizing that chippy was soaked and shivering she did what any compassionate bird owner would do she reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air poor chippy never knew what hit him a few days after the trauma, the reporter, who had initially written about the event, contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, blown over. That's enough to steal the song of the stoutest heart. Luke, in this passage, of scripture gives a very detailed description of a storm. Luke and Aristarchus are accompanied with, are accompanying Paul on the journey. We know this because in verse 2, it says, we put to sea, and then again in verse 3, we put in, and I believe one of the reasons why Luke gives painstaking details of this event is so that we understand that standing against the helplessness of humanity is the sovereignty of of God who had promised Paul he would testify in Rome clear back in Acts chapter 23 and now right in the middle of this storm an angel appears to Paul and reaffirms that promise to him it is my belief that Luke is making it abundantly clear to us that there is nothing on the face of this earth that can thwart God's purpose not even forces of nature now interesting enough as we read through this Paul is a prisoner and Paul the prisoner is the one who is showing leadership in the middle of a crisis not only that but because of Paul all 276 people on this ship are saved from Death. Now, you might have never been on the sea in a boat in the middle of a storm, but I can just about guarantee you that in your life, you have at least experienced storms of life. There may even be a storm of your life where you have felt helpless or maybe even to the point where you have wondered if your life would go on just like the people on this ship. That Paul's on however I believe that we can learn a lot from this passage of Scripture as it relates to the storms of life mainly that we need to trust God's sovereignty in the midst of our storms and know that he will use those storms as a witness for others so the first thing I want us to see is this God is sovereign over all God is sovereign over all there are many times when we are faced with a storm in our life and we somehow think that because we are in a storm that God is not in control. I mean, how could God be in control? If he was in control, then why would this happen to me? We have heard the question, the age old question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, that question's based upon a false premise anyway because no one is good but that is the question the doctrine of god's sovereignty over all things is a biblical doctrine and it is one that brings great comfort in the midst of trying times and i understand that there are people who will teach that when something happens that is bad or when a tragedy strikes that that cannot be god's will but that's not what scripture teaches I heard it very often after the tornado hit Washington here. People said often, including sometimes pastors, this is not God's plan. And you know what? That sounds nice. But we don't need to try to make God look good in order to comfort those who are grieving. I'm not sure that declaring something is not God's plan brings any comfort to anyone. Because if something is not God's plan, then whose plan is it? If it's not God's plan, then God is not in control. And if he is not in control, then someone or something else has to be in control. And if someone else is in control, well, that's blasphemy. I know I would not find any comfort if I believed that somehow God was overpowered by a tornado or he was overpowered when someone got sick or he was overpowered somehow when someone passed away suddenly, that somehow God was overpowered. However, I find great comfort in believing that the scripture teaches to us that God is fully sovereign over all things that take place, even the most tragic events in human history. In fact, the most tragic event that we can ever think of, the crucifixion of his son, Jesus Christ, God was sovereignly orchestrating. I want us to see some practical truth that comes from this idea that God is sovereign over all things. First of all, first practical truth is this. When things seem out of control, they aren't. When things seem out of control, they aren't. And verse, this is probably my favorite subpoint of all time. I don't know why. But when I was preparing this sermon, I just I I loved it when I typed this up because things seem out of control a lot for people, even in my life. And I have to remind myself they're not. They're not out of control. In verses 15 through 20, we have this desperate situation. In fact, it seems that, it, that, that everything is out of control. I don't know if you've ever witnessed the ocean in the midst of a storm like this, but it is a very powerful thing to behold. I'm certain that the, that the members of the crew quickly realized they were not in control. One time I decided to go fishing on the ocean because a friend invited me and I had never been on the ocean. And he said, hey, I'm going on this trip. I'd love for you to go. We got out there and it was white caps, you know. And and they said, we're going anyway. And I was with a bunch of non-Christian people. They were mechanics and they were all just getting drunk. And uh, (laughs) there's no other way to put it. And I got out there and I threw up the entire time you know I was just so sick as a boat boom boom and we cut the trip short and and uh, but but I mean the storm on an ocean is a powerful thing and you realize that you're not in control and they had no fancy gadgets to help them out They were totally helpless. In fact, in verse 17, it tells us that they did all they could just to keep the ship from breaking to pieces. Then it says they could not see the sun or the stars. Couldn't see the sun or the stars. They were lost in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they were afraid they would drift too far south. And so they... Jettison the cargo and even though even they, they even begin to throw over the tackle that they didn't need and they, they, they were just out of control they were out of control look at verse 20 do you notice what it says all hope of us being saved was abandoned listen church when things seem out of control they aren't I can't imagine a circumstance more out of control than this. We're going to die at sea. But when things seem out of control, they aren't because even though they were not in our control, and even though these these shipmates were not in control of the ship, God was in control. God is in control. He's always in control. God was not up in heaven saying, boy, I sure did not see that storm coming. I don't know where that came from. God's not up in heaven in a panic. He's not running around trying to figure out how he's going to save Paul. Now, what am I going to do now? I told Paul that he was going to go to Rome. What am I going to do? I didn't see this storm coming. God caused the boat to drift some 476 miles from the small island of Quada to Malta, which is simply another small island in this vast sea. The sailors of the vessel were not in control. God was in control. Now, before you think that this is crazy and there's no way that this could happen, this is why Luke gives such painstakingly details. Luke tells it that there has been uh, 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 all these, he gives us all these details of the the ship. In fact, he gave such details that somebody actually did a study, an on-site study of this passage of Scripture to verify the possibility of it happening. FF Bruce writes, in the 19th century, an experienced Scottish yachtsman named James Smith made a careful on-site study of this narrative. He asked experienced Mediterranean navigators what the what, what the mean drift of a ship of this kind would be in such a gale. He learned that it would drift about 36 miles in 24 hours. Even today, the surroundings mentioned in verse 28 indicate that the ship was passing Hora, a point on the east coast of Malta, on her way into St. Paul's Bay. Smith calculated that a ship leaving late in the evening from Clodda would by midnight of the 14th day be less than three miles from the entrance to St. Paul's Bay. He also supported or reported that no ship can enter into St. Paul's Bay without passing with than a quarter of a mile from the point of Korah, which was sa- uh, which, where the sailors would have heard the breakers, thus surmising that they were nearing land exactly as Luke reports in verse 27. I tell you this because it makes it clear that as Luke is giving all these details, he's doing so with great accuracy and it sets to show that we can trust the word of God. when when things seem like they are out of control, when we think all hope is lost, they aren't out of control because God is in control. And I would encourage you to trust in his word of truth. But I also want us to see this truth, that when we are in the storms of life, it does not mean you are out of God's will. When we are in the storms of life, it does not mean that you are out of God's will. Listen carefully. I know there are some folks that hold to this view that if something has gone wrong or when tragedy hits, that must mean that there is some sort of sin in your life. And I know that there's well-meaning Christians that run around and and somebody, you know, had something bad happen to them. And they think that the reason that something bad has happened is because there was sin in their life. I'm not sure where that theology comes from, but it's not biblical at all. And sometimes they will say even really dumb things like, oh, God must be trying to get your attention. You know, you ever heard that? And I will admit, I jokingly say that to my kids sometimes sometimes. You know, they're, they're misbehaving and then they get hurt. I'm like, well, that's what you get, you know, um, and that's probably not joking. That's probably serious, but uh, uh, you know, we, we say things like that as if, you know, God's just waiting for us to mess up and then bam, he's going to get us. And I know that's the first question that, that even pops into our head, right? sometimes something bad happens one of the first things we think as followers of christ we wonder if somehow we're not in god's will now if we are in the storm because of sin that's different but when you are in a storm it is exactly where god wants you to be because he's put you there we know the the lord told paul that that he would give testimony in rome is paul in rome at this point no did the Lord tell Paul that on his way to Rome that he would be on a ship in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea and he would end up shipwrecked? Nope, he, he left that detail out. Is Paul out of God's will? Doesn't seem to be. Remember when Jesus is fed 5,000 people and then he tells his disciples to get into a boat? In fact, The scripture says that he made them, if we go read that account, it says he made them get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side that that word made means that uh, to compel by force or persuasion in other words the disciples did not have a whole lot of say about the matter to get in the boat and go to the other side do you remember what happened Well, as they got in the boat and went to the other side there was a storm right and and this is where peter actually walks on the water for a little bit anyway the point is this jesus made the disciples get into a storm he deliberately sent them in a storm. He knew it was coming. And so often we miss this point of that passage scripture. But he wanted to teach them that he has the power over the storm. And that he, can, he comes and he walks on the water. Listen church. Even though the disciples were in the storm. They were exactly where God wanted them to be in that moment. And listen. You could Imagine. If everything that we decided to do depended on, you know, whether something bad happened. Depended on whether we entered a rough patch or something, something bad took place. And we said, oh, well, that must mean this isn't God's will. I mean, good grief, I'd no longer be in ministry if I based my decisions on that. I would have quit a long time ago. I can't tell you how many times when trying to do something that I knew was the right thing to do that I entered into a tough time in ministry. I've had nasty things said about me. I've had terrible things said about my family. I've had letters written about me. I've read some of the letters. Nasty, nasty things. And if I said, well, that must mean that God doesn't want me in ministry. I'd never be in ministry. I've had people question every dollar I spend. When you're in ministry, you're under a mic microscope everyone looks to find something wrong boy that pastor he's got to be doing something wrong with everything that you do good grief i would have said it must not be god's will for me to be in ministry because of all these storms i've even had tough times right here at first baptist church i know that's hard to imagine can you imagine if i took those tough times and said well i I must not supposed to be here i better start looking for somewhere else to go you know why i don't do that because this is where god wants me i'm right where he placed me you may you may not like me but you got to put up with me so so you just got to deal with it listen church god God's will for his children sometimes includes going through the storms of life. And it does not mean you're out of God's will or that sin is involved. It just means that God wants you to walk through that storm and you just do it. And so don't go around as a believer. Don't do this. When some, something bad happens, don't start questioning somebody's faith or start questioning whether there's sin in their life or start thinking, oh, they must have done some real bad sin and God's really punishing them. That's ridiculous. Don't do that to someone else and don't do that to yourself. Now, if you are going through a storm because of sin, which does happen, then repent. Third truth I want us to see about the sovereignty of God in the storms is this. In the midst of the storms of life, God cares for us. The sailors were at a loss. They had no clue what to do. They were not in control of the situation, even though they were lost at sea. God knew exactly where they were. We never go off of God's radar. Now get this. God cared for all of these people, even those that did not believe. How do we know this? Well, because God spared all their lives. He could have just spared Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, but he spared them all, even though he had a special care for his children just like I have a special care for my children when my children are in a in a group I care about all the children but I have a special care for my children and God has a special care for his children when we when we just uh witnessed this Manchester bombing on the news parents cared for all the children that took place but you know what they had a special care for their own children they weren't running around wondering about everybody else's children they were wondering about their child if you are a child of god through faith in christ take heart because god has a special care for you even in the midst of the storm he takes you through the storm and he Cares for you. In fact, in first Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, cast casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God is sovereign over all things, and that's a source of comfort for the believer because we know that he cares for us however with that said god's sovereignty never negates man's responsibility to say that god is sovereign so whatever will be will be and there's nothing i can do about anything so i'll just sit around and do nothing is not biblical and it's not what scripture teaches us which leads us to point number two Which is this, we have a responsibility in the storms of life to trust God. We have a responsibility in the storms of life to trust God. The responsibility for us when we're in the midst of a storm is to trust God. We have to trust that God knows what he is doing. That means trusting that God has given us a brain. So we use it. That includes trusting in God. uh, So we react differently than the rest of the world. That includes trusting in God. So when he provides a way out, we take it. And that includes trusting in God. So that we bear witness to him in the midst of life's storms. Let's look at these things real quickly. First of all, God has has given us a brain so use it okay God's given you a brain so use it just because we trust in God does not mean that we check our brains at the door Paul was a man who trusted greatly in God he had great faith yet he still used his brain Why do you think he told them that the trip could be dangerous in the first place? It was not because of some sort of special revelation that Paul had. It was because he was using his brain. Verse 9 says, The voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, which is a reference to the Day of Atonement, which was in early October. It was risky to sail on the Mediterranean Sea Any time after September 14th, because winter is coming in, and no one ever sailed after November 11th until winter was over because storms are so frequent. Paul simply used his brain, he was using common sense. He knew a thing or two about being shipwrecked because he had been shipwrecked, including a night and a day at sea drifting. However, the scripture says that the ship owner and the pilot wouldn't listen. Because they didn't want to spend the winter where they were. And so they decided they could reach Phoenix and they launched into a disaster. We could say, well, we should never trust an expert opinion from this, but we won't say that. Paul probably shouldn't have trusted the expert opinion, right? God has given us a brain, so use it. Paul's not condemned here for using common sense. Just because we trust in the Lord does not mean we don't use our brain and just do whatever. Yes, there are times that we must step out in faith in ways that others consider foolish because they um, don't trust in God. However, we should be sure that the Lord is the one directing us or you are going to look pretty ridiculous in the world's eyes if you think you're stepping out in faith and the Lord's not directing you to do so. All I'm saying is you have a brain. Use it. Trusting in God and using your brain are not opposed to one another. You can use your brain and trust in God at the same time. Secondly, trusting in God means we react different than the rest of the world. Look at Paul here. Look at how he handles himself. He stands out from everyone else. In the midst of a desperate situation, Paul is calm. Now, that is not to say that Paul was not fearful. Verse 20 says, All hope of being saved was lost. And the angel said to Paul, Do not be afraid, which would indicate that he was afraid. Paul was a human just like everyone else. And when he was in the midst of a catastrophic event like this, we can have fear. And I'm sure he had fear. And we may even falter at a moment. However, we react different than the rest of the world. The angel reminds Paul of the promise of God that he would bear witness in Rome. And he promises Paul that everyone on board that ship will be saved. Now, at this point, Paul has some options. He could just keep this information to himself, or he could do what he does and he stands up and he reminds them. And what does he say? I love this part. He says, I told you so. <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. You should have listened to me. I told you so. You know that moment when you want to tell people that, right? Like you've, you've told somebody what was going to happen, and then it happened, and you want to be like, I told you so. And he doesn't do that to be, to be mean-spirited. He does that to give some authority to what he's saying, and then he tells them a word of encouragement, Concerning the promise that God has given him. And later on he encourages them to eat some food. So they have strength to get ashore. And Paul openly in front of every everyone gives thanks to God for the food. And he eats it and they are encouraged and they eat too. And Paul's reaction is different from everyone else's. He tells them what the Lord has promised. He believes in the promise that God has given to him. And he gives thanks for the food. And he tells them to eat and he encourages them to eat. Trust trusting in God means that we react different than the rest of the world when tragedy strikes and if we want to act different than the rest of the world we have to be seeking God and spending time with God before the trial ever hits you want to know if the world trusts God or not watch the news plain and simple just watch the news man people are freaking out everywhere as if we are the ones in control of everything just watch the news you'll go you'll go nuts i mean i watch it for like an hour a day and i I don't even know what happens to my brain during the hour it's 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 not healthy i don't think but anyway we don't trust in god And if you want to be ready when the trial comes and you got to spend some time seeking God now, and if you're seeking the Lord now, then when the trial comes, uh, uh, when the hard time comes, when the storms of life comes, you'll react differently than everyone else when the storm hits, because you'll know that your trust is in God, not in the rest of the world. My best illustration of this is when my... Uh, when Zephaniah was born and we were you know pulled into the hospital and people were freaking out as Zephaniah was being born in the front seat of our van and he was half in and half out and the doctor was flipping out and I was the only calm person in the situation and I'm thinking I don't even know anything other than God's in control and I was calm and he's i never heard so many F-words in my life, but he was freaking out, going crazy. You see, church, we react differently than the rest of the world because we trust that God is in control. Thirdly, trusting in God means when he provides a way out, we take it. When he provides a way out, we take it. The angel gave Paul a promise that everyone on board would be saved. However, look at verse 30. These sailors are trying to escape in a dinghy, pretending like they're laying out anchors. Paul knows that they that that they need these sailors to get to land and he says to the centurion unless these men stay in the ship you cannot be saved at this point i'm certain that the centurion had a respect for paul that perhaps he did not have when the trip started and so he orders the lines cut so the sailors cannot escape by themselves again paul realized that they would need some strength to get the boat ashore but no one had eaten in two weeks and so he takes bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and gives thanks to God and he eats it and he encourages the other sailors to eat true two, Trusting in God means that when he provides a way out, you take it when he when 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 you realize hey we can't get away with these sailors escaping so we got to do something about it we're not going to get ashore unless we eat and we have the food so we need to eat now here's the thing god promised paul that everyone would be saved but paul didn't assume that everyone's going to be saved without him doing anything he didn't assume it was just going to happen the ca- the sailors couldn't escape they needed to eat in order for everyone to be saved, and so often we think that trusting in God means that we don't do anything, that we don't take the way out when it when it when it, uh, when it presents itself to us, or that it implies that we have to just kind of sit there. It's kind of like that guy that was trapped in the flood. You know, they came to his house and they said, "Sir, there's going to be a flood, and you need to get out now." And he says, "No." Nope. I trust in God. He's gonna save me. And then the flood waters come. And his house starts flooding. He moves up to the second story. And a boat comes by and says, Sir, you need to, you need to get into the boat and we'll we'll get you to get you to dry ground. He says, no, I trust that God's gonna save me. A little bit later, he's on the roof of his house, and here comes a helicopter. And they say, sir, we need, to, we need to rescue you. He says, nope. I trust that God is going to save me. And he goes to heaven. And he says, God, I thought you were going to save me. He said, I sent you a warning, a boat, and a helicopter. And he didn't take any of them. Right? And that's the way we sometimes live our life. Like, oh, I just, I trust in God. Well, he gives you a way out, take it. God has promised that that in heaven there will be some storm. Or there, God has promised that, um, that in heaven there will be all nations of people. That doesn't mean that we do nothing about it. That doesn't mean that we sit here and we say, oh, well, God promised it, so He must, He's probably gonna take care of this. He's, he's probably gonna figure this out somehow. God, God promised. I, surely I don't need to share the gospel with my neighbor, God promised, or my family member, God promised. Surely I don't need to cross an ocean to share the gospel because he promised that all nations will be in heaven. Church, because he promised it, we labor in prayer. We give to reach the nations. It means that we send and we go and we tell the gospel because God promise because God is sovereign to save his people but he does it through a means to save his people which is you and I which he has appointed in scripture and so we do it fourthly trusting in God means we bear witness to him in the midst of life storms You notice that when the angel told Paul that he and all the people were going to be saved, Paul did not keep this information to himself. You know what else Paul did not do? He did not proclaim to them some sort of positive self-help message on better thinking that would improve their outlook on life. No. Instead, he told them about God. He told them how he trusted in God and then he told them about the promise that God had given and that all their lives would be spared and when he, I'm sure that 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 he eventually took some more time to expand on the gospel and when he took time then he took time to encourage them to eat some bread he could have thought to himself well I'm with a bunch of sailors and these guys are burly and they're tough men and I better not I better not they're a bunch of pagans so I better not bless this food in front of them that's not what he did he bless the food openly. He gives thanks in front of all these men. Church, too often we, we look for ways to try to downgrade God. Or we try to find ways to leave God out of the equation altogether. And we make presumptions like no one wants to hear me pray. I'm not going to pray because no one wants to hear me. I'm not going to bow my head because no one wants to see me. Or what if I offend someone? What if I say something that's offensive? And we try to make these presumptions on God or we try to make make God less offensive. When people are in the midst of a storm of life, they're open to spiritual things. When life is spinning out of control and they're doing their best to hold on and nothing seems to be working, people are open to hearing about God who has it all under control. We can't run around being hesitant, church. We must be bold and we must tell others about the true and living God and the fact that he offers eternal life to everyone through his son, Jesus Christ. We must be bold witnesses. And trusting in God means that you bear witness even in the midst of the storm of life that you bear witness to God. Last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. When we endure the storms of life, God will use it as a witness for his glory when we endure the storms of life, God will use it as a witness for his glory. When we walk through the storm of this life, trusting in God, it's not so that we get some sort of glory, that we get some sort of pat on the back, but it will allow us to be a witness for Christ and to give God the glory. Listen, church, our world is filled with all kinds of self-help secular mentality on how to cope with the storms of life, how to handle this situation, how to deal with that situation. We can read all the books on positive thinking. We can try to use mind tricks we can listen to Oprah and Dr. Phil and whoever else that we think is going to encourage us etc 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 because this is what the world does they seek a solution to their problems apart from God these sailors had heard Paul tell them that God would save them all but they felt like they better do something for themselves and so they get in that dinghy and they try to take off let me be perfectly clear this morning there are not many ways to salvation There's not many ways for you to get to heaven. There are not many ways. It's not through this God or that God and this path and that path. There is one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. People don't save themselves in their own way, nor do they get to add to the way of salvation. Paul trusted in the Lord and God gave witness and he gave witness to the fact of God's promise and deliverance and all the passengers on the ship heard about God on that day. We may not have have it fully recorded, but no doubt in the days and the winter months that came on the island of Malta, Paul had an opportunity to further explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say this to say that one person that fully trusts in God in the storms of life, that one person that endures through the storms of life, God can use you as a witness to bring others to himself and to glorify himself. People see God in that person. And it's a witness to his glory. And so I just ask you this morning, church. Are you enduring the storms of life? Are you enduring the storms of life to be a testimony to the glory of God in you? You know, a few weeks ago, I told you about Horatio Spafford. Briefly, Horatio Gates Spafford was born on October 20th, 1828 in Lansenburg, Rensselaer County, New York. He trained as a lawyer, specializing in medical jurisprudence, and went west, settling in Chicago. He practiced law in the Windy City under the name of Spafford, McDade, and Wilson, with offices in the Republic Life Building on the South Street in Chicago. He invested wisely in real estate, which is now uh, known as the Loop, the city center, in 1861. He married Norwegian-born Anna Tubin Larsen, who had been born in Stavanger on March 16, 1842, and had immigrated with her parents to America at the age of four years old. By 1870, Horatio and Anna Spafford had three daughters: Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and then they had eventually had a fourth uh, named Tanetta. The Spaffords were well-to-do. Their real estate was valued at 38,000 U.S. dollars in 1870, and they even had a French governess, Emma LaRue. When the Great Chicago Fire swept through the city on October 8th through the 10th in 1871, killing 250 people, rendering 90,000 people homeless, Horatio Spafford personally sustained a significant financial loss when about a third of the city was destroyed. Nevertheless, Horatio and Anna worked tirelessly for two years to help the victims of the fire put their lives back together. The Spaffords were friends of the evangelist Dwight L. Moody, who had centered his worldwide Christian activities in Chicago. In 1873, Horatio and Anna decided to travel to Europe. The family of six traveled to New York to board their ship. Last-minute business obligations caused Horatio to to postpone his own going. But he saw no reason for the entire family to delay their travel, and so he sent his family on ahead, planning to join them as soon as he could. Anna Spafford, the couple's four daughters, the children's governess, and two others in their party boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre on november twenty second, eighteen seventy three, along with three hundred and seven passengers. Horatio Spafford returned to Chicago at two o'clock AM on november twenty second, eighteen seventy three, in the eastern North Atlantic, the Ville du Havre collided with the British iron clipper Loch The Ville du Havre sank in a mere twelve minutes, two hundred and twenty six people perished, including the four Spafford daughters. The Loch urn was seriously damaged, but nonetheless was able to take aboard the 61 surviving passengers and 29 surviving crew from the Ville du Havre. Among the survivors were Anna Spafford and the governess Emma LaRue. The following day, the US ship, Tremontaine reached the scene, rescued the passengers. And they were transferred from the locker to the Tremontaine Which carried them to Wales, landing at Cardiff. From Cardiff, Anna on December 11th, or December 1st, 1873, sent a telegraph to her husband the following devastating message Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio took the next ship to join his wife. Bertha Spafford, a fifth daughter of Horatio and Anna, born later, would later recount what her father had told her that during her father's voyage, the captain of the ship had called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the place where the Ville du Havre was wrecked. The water is three miles deep. That night in his cabin, Horatius Bafford wrote the great hymn declaring the comforting peace of the believer. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea bills roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul though satan should buffet though trial should come let this blessed assurance control that christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul my sin O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That hymn has encouraged millions of people as they walk through the storms of this life. The glory doesn't belong to Horatio Spafford. Glory belongs to God. Church, if you're going through a storm, He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to know He is sovereign over the storms of your life. He is in control. And even when it seems like things are out of control, and if you trust Him, He will use you to be a witness to the many who need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because Jesus Christ alone can deliver you from the storm of God's wrath that will come against all sinfulness on the entire earth. Church, I just simply ask you this morning, are you enduring the storms of life? And this morning, if you say, Pastor, I'm in the midst of a storm and it is overcoming me, I challenge you to endure and trust that God is in control and you are right where he wants you. Will you be a testimony to him? And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I can't endure the storms of life because I don't know Christ as my Savior. I would challenge you this morning as we sing a song in just a minute. Come and say, hey, I need Jesus as my Savior. We're going to close with prayer. I challenge you to come at the time of invitation. Let's pray.